the Lamb of God and the world's sin. Text is John 1, 28 to 34. John 1, 28 to 34. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. That's John the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. People that don't know anything else in their Bibles, they know that phrase. This is he of whom I said, John is still speaking, John the Baptist. After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. That's the second time he said that. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, quote, who's that? Who said this to John the Baptist? Did he hear a voice, do you think? Said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amazing things happen in this text. Supernatural things. The heavens open up. We sang about, as we lift our hands, the heavens open, but they didn't open anywhere. Here, John says, the heavens opened. John hears God speak. In some fashion, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 33, And then you have this visible manifestation, something like a dove descending on Jesus. And, you know, let's face it, we don't see stuff like that today. Not like that. As a general rule, nothing in our daily experience, in our walk with the Lord, really parallels those kinds of manifestations. To me, that's why our text begins with those rather dull, ordinary, pedestrian words, 128. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. All these supernatural things. And what I think the Apostle John means to convey with with those bland opening words is that no gospel account ever began with the words once upon a time. What John describes isn't a fairy tale. What John describes, he says he saw and he heard. So this is, my point is, this is history that we're looking at, not imagination. These things are historical. They aren't mystical. It's really the unique glory of the New Testament gospel. It reaches into our experience, but it's rooted in the days of the week and the hours on the clock and the places of simple geometry. And what that means is, here's what it means. These events aren't just true for some people who happen to believe in them or be moved by them. These events aren't just made up in the minds of those 
whom the media loves to call people of faith. These events that we're reading about in our text, they happened independently of whether or not anybody else believed they happened or cared that they happened. They just happened in history. Here, at this place, you know, Bethany, across, that's where they happened. The apostle takes the time to tell us where. And so, apparently, we need this reminder from the New Testament that that the foundations upon which I put my faith aren't dependent on the psychological benefits I might receive from them. They're valuable to all people because they're true, not just because they work for some people. Point number one. The very first time John the Baptist sees Jesus, he talks about his death on the cross. That's significant. 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold. In other words, stop everybody, drop what you're doing, just fix your attention on this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is so significant. In the Apostle John's account of the life of Jesus, there had, as of yet, when John meets him, there had been no miracles, no teaching, no parables, so that on the visible human side of things, nothing of significance has really happened yet. And yet, the very first time the Apostle John records Jesus coming into John the Baptist's view. He is already the slain lamb. He is the crucified one. So in other words, in other words, right at the beginning, the end is already the object of attention. The first time John the Baptist sees Jesus, he's talking about his death. We, the readers, here we sit on this Sunday morning. Hope you have a Bible open. And we're already alerted that this pre-existent one, remember the first verse, the word was God with God. This pre-existent one who was God and was with God, the first thing we're told is, he's coming to die. And already, notice in the text, already God is pictured as taking the saving initiative. John the Baptist isn't coming to Jesus. Jesus is coming to John the Baptist. 129, he saw Jesus coming toward him. We're, we're, we're made aware of, of this divine grace and mercy. John doesn't scrape and grovel somehow to get Jesus to come to him. Jesus seeks out John the Baptist. He still seeks out you. He seeks out me. He might be speaking to your heart this morning. That's what he does. Point number two. We're going to do grammar for a minute. Point number two, the definite articles and their definite message. 
The simple grammar kind of matters in this text. Because no one studies grammar anymore, you need to actually explain. The definite articles in this sentence are the these. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you were reading this in Greek, it would read, on the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of There's another one there in the Greek. Behold, the Lamb of the God who takes away the sin of the world. Doesn't make for very nice reading. But it does reveal a little bit of John's theology. Each definite article makes a contribution. Jesus is the Lamb. He's not one of many. You get it? He's not one of many lambs being offered for sin. We're we're not being invited to try Jesus as one of many possible liberators. And he's not being offered by just one of many possible gods. He is the God's lamb. The only God who is, the God who made us, the God who made heaven and earth. And this lamb isn't coming and dying to relieve some of our sins while ignoring some deeper issues. There's nothing of human guilt. This lamb's sacrifice doesn't remove. He removes the sin. He removes, if you'll let him, he removes the only thing that puts distance between you and your heavenly father. The only thing that puts God out of reach to this day. No one need be left out. The lamb's sacrifice is offered not just for some, but for the whole world. So in short, John's message, come to the lamb sent by the God, whose death removed the sin of the whole world. That's the message of the indefinite articles. Three. The lamb is said to die for our sin, not for our sins, plural. And that's very important. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the point the Apostle John makes here is, is more than just sort of theological hair-splitting. What, what the Lamb takes away, what he removes, isn't just a list of my bad habits. It's not a specific list of sins which John refers to, but the root of all those sins. The sin in its totality the sin into which I was born, the guilt that my very nature brings before a holy God, the guilt that mars my conscience, stains the best efforts, fills my life with regrets for things I can't change. That sin, in his often liberal commentary on John's gospel, Adolf Schlater makes 
a brilliant observation on this concept of the lamb removing the sin of the world. Follow these words carefully. Since the sin is taken up and carried away, the word sin used here must be something deeper than behavior, since behavior, once done, can't be undone. But the word sin means behavior's continuing result, that which arises out of the wicked behavior. The word sin means the ongoing guilt before God that our behavior brings. This is the guilt we cannot erase. That's kind of involved, but don't rush over it. The distinction between sins, plural, as the bad things, the list of the deeds. The difference between sins, plural, as merely bad behavior, and sin, as the result of those acts before God is the difference between redemption and just moral improvement. In, this isn't, you don't have this on the screen. I just jotted it in this morning, but this is what David's talking about in Psalm 51. Before I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. And then he prays, Create, created me a clean heart. Interesting. He sinned with Bathsheba, and he doesn't just say, forgive me for immorality. That deed came from somewhere. Create, created me a clean heart. There's stuff in here, and I can't erase it. And deeds once done, even if I regret them, what about the guilt of those deeds? How do I get rid of that? Even if I can morally improve, I can stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing that. What about all the years I was doing those things? Where does that guilt go? Oh, Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. It's a big, big phrase. Even if I have the willpower to quit doing something bad, what I can't do is erase the guilt of those deeds while I was still doing them. Moral reform can't remove guilt from deeds already done, even if I could stop doing those deeds. I need the root of my guilt dealt with. Four. The Lamb's sin-removing work is always continuous and ongoing. There's a wonderful truth that you really don't get just in the English translations of our New Testaments. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who, I want you to notice this, okay? Stay with me. Who takes away sin of the world. I want you to notice there's a difference. This is a Greek New Testament, and I'm not very good at this. So 129, and I want you to tell me if you see a difference. On the next day, he sees Jesus coming to him, and he says, look, the Lamb of God 
the one taking away the sin of the world. Did you see a difference? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. That's a one-time action. Boom. The Greek. Taking away. All the time. It never stops. It's a truly strange way for John the Baptist to say it. Think about it. Because from John the Baptist's perspective, the Lamb's sacrificial work on the cross is still in the future. This is John's first encounter with Jesus. It's also a very strange way for the Apostle John, don't get them confused, the Apostle John, it's strange for him to write about it because John wrote his epistle long after Jesus died and ascended. So for John the Baptist, this taking away work is still in the future a bit. For the Apostle John, as he records the events, it's already happened several decades before. So there stands our text. Quite strangely, in neither the past nor the future tense, but constantly present. Like the removing of sin by the Lamb is, is, is always happening right now. Behold, the Lamb of God who is taking away the sin of the world. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. His mercies are what? New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I believe here lies John's point. John the Baptist, who first spoke these words, was beheaded. The Apostle John, who first recorded those words, has long been dead. But here we are. What is it? May 7th, 2023. Here we are. An event. We talk about it. We preach about it. More than 2,000 years old. And John reminds us in his present tense depiction of sin's removal that wherever this message is presently preached, wherever this truth is presently believed, the sin-removing work is immediate, complete, ongoing. Where faith is placed in the Lamb of God, the sin-removing experience is just a forever present reality right at that moment. Do you crave forgiveness from a past you wish wasn't there and, and you can't erase it? Are you filled with regret, wishing you could turn your conscience off when you go to bed at night? John would say, come, come to the Lamb of God. He is taking away the sin of the world. He can do that for you. He can do that for you. There's a reminder for all of us. I need to tell myself. I need to hear God's truth with an always fresh ear. I need to confess and repent 
in a present, fresh contrition. Perhaps most importantly, I must believe presently, afresh, resisting laziness with all my might. And where this is done, sin is removed. Hearts are transformed constantly, continuously. New life is a living stream. It's not a theological download. The work of Jesus is effective presently, just as surely as it's rooted in past history. I love Frederick Beekner's words. Churches that leave this vivifying center for what are thought to be more contemporary or relevant or gripping centers of issues, sooner or later will wither away, as history has shown again and again. Churches that obscure this life-giving center with 101 programs or social political enthusiasms are eventually overwhelmed with activities and guilt at the same time. Steady, Christ-crucified and risen churches that, like John the Baptist, keep pointing to the victorious Lamb, continue the Baptist's original ministry, and so keep taking away the sin of the world from the hearts of believing hearers and creating joyful Christians who advance the mission even farther and farther into a social and spiritual world that longs to hear believable divine truth that matters. Present tense. He's here right now, wants to take away your sin. Five. The witness of the Baptist and the voice from heaven. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. It's an interesting account. The witness of the Spirit The voice from heaven are important points in our text because John the Baptist makes it clear that he had no advanced knowledge who Jesus was or what he might look like. He says it in 31. I myself did not know him. He repeats it again in 33. I myself did not know him. So all John had to go on was the fact that he had heard from God directly, 33, and he was alerted to Jesus' identity by this visible descent of the Spirit, in the form of a dove. So it's in simple obedience to these two revelations that John dedicates his whole ministry pointing the world to the Lamb of God. The voice from heaven. It's not heard frequently in the New Testament. For the most part, the church, especially after the ascension of Jesus, relies, as we do, on the teaching of the apostles. But there are two occasions 
where the voice from heaven is heard in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. One, it's in Matthew 3, 16, and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John the the Apostle doesn't directly record that quote. The voice from heaven is heard again, you'll remember, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then this lovely little addition which just makes sense, listen to him. In John's gospel, there are also two occasions where the voice from heaven is heard. Evidently, at Jesus' baptism, the voice speaks to John the Baptist. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, quote, he on whom you see the Spirit remain. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The second time the voice is heard in John is Jesus praying. It's in John 12, 27, 28. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come into this world. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, why did I take the time to do that? The difference in John's gospel from the other times the voice from heaven is heard, especially in the synoptics, is that in John's gospel, the voice from heaven is never just about the son's identity. This is my beloved son. In John's gospel, the voice is always about the atoning work of Jesus. It's clearly Father God's intention that redemption and the life of the Spirit, they're to be found exclusively in the Son. Don't look anywhere else. He's the Lamb of God. I find it so striking. The Father doesn't identify the Son as, behold, the miracle worker. Behold, the teller of parables. Behold, the social justice hero. Not any of those, though, of course, the son will be engaged in all of those things. But first and foremost, the telling identifier of the son will be his atoning death for sinners. So the church has this ongoing responsibility, this ongoing message to proclaim the Son as the only forgiver of the world's sins. And here's what that means for you and for me. If you want a clean heart, the whole New Testament and the voice from heaven, if you want a clean heart, 
You only have one person to whom you can go. There are no other options. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Consistently, presently, actively taking away the sin of the world. You don't have to wonder about death and facing a holy God. The Lamb of God wants to take away your sin. There's two groups in a church like this. There's people who are, well, you don't feel like you've ever really messed up. I think of my life, raised by Christian parents, was in church for as long as I can remember, three times a week. Never had any run-ins with the law. I had to go and get my, uh, uh, what's that thing called, this, the police check. We have to update all that for insurance purposes. Yeah, I had to go 40 years. I got to go now. I went. You know what I did? I went on uh, Friday and got fingerprinted. That was a new experience for me. Vulnerable sector check. By the way, we have to update everybody. And, and you can, if, if you know, you feel like, hey, I've been working in that nursery for 15 years. Why do I have to do it? I had to do it. So I hope you have to do it, too. I think that's Christ-like. But I wasn't worried when I put my fingers on that thing that they were going to find something horrible about me because I've never had any problems. It's hard for people like me to say, I need the Lamb of God. Maybe that's you. Another group of people that I've just, you, I sit here and I can smile with the rest of them, but Pastor, you don't know how messed up my life is. You don't know what I wrestle with. And there's people that think, I don't know if the Lamb of God can even help me. And for both groups, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray.